Welcome to the Palmasia Presbyterian Church Lectionary Call-In Podcast for Sunday, February 25, 2024, the second Sunday of Lent. We continue our journey through Lent, focusing this year on Lectionary Year B, the Gospel Lessons, primarily from the Gospel of Mark. We welcome you to this conversation and exploration. In advance, uh, I'm the lead this week. I sent questions to my colleagues and so that we could do some preparation and we will share our observations and comments and questions uh, in the discussion. And I'm glad that this morning joining me are my colleagues. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Nicole Parton Abdenor, Tampa. And I'm Bill Hall in St. Petersburg, Florida. And Nicole, of course, is a pastor at Palmasia Presbyterian Church. Welcome, Nicole. Appreciate your being with us this morning. And Sarah, the passage from Mark for this week is Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. I'm going to expand it and include the previous three or four verses because they set I think, an an important context for us. A a few lectionaries expand it, but I acknowledge the lectionary passage begins with verse 31. I'm going to begin with verse 27, reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Let us listen. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Jesus asked him, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach them, that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called a crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First question, and Sarah, I'm coming to you first. A little lengthy, but I think 
for a re- good reason, hopefully. The word Satan is used numerous times in the New Testament, always in a strongly negative sense. For example, Satan tempts Jesus in the wilderness. In the parable of the sower and the seeds, Satan is identified as the one who takes away the seeds. Satan is responsible for binding a crippled woman for 18 years, and Satan entered Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And uh, Sunday, during the traditional service at Palmasia Presbyterian Church, Pastor Nicole was preaching and offered us the opportunity to respond to the ancient baptismal questions. And I noted for Nicole in the pre-recording, I had read them. I had never responded to them. And so she asked, the first one is, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of evil that rebel against God? (laughs) Powerful language. Sarah, given this use of the name Satan in scripture and church history, how do you understand and respond to Jesus's calling Peter Satan in verse 33? Well, first I'll just say, I think we can all step into Peter's shoes at some point in our lives. Um, often hearing what we don't want to, to hear or acknowledge can easily put us in a posture of denial. Um, whether big or small, the choices we encounter shape and direct our lives. Um, it's, it is in these daily choices where we are asked to either follow Christ or put our own desires first. So this choice to place human desires, which seem to exalt the self before God's purposes, puts us in conflict to and adversarial toward God. I don't know about you, but defiance seems to be a, a, personal, a personality trait that runs in my family. Um, it, it, it rears its head anytime anybody asks anybody to take on any business chores of the house it, it tends to show up when um, you're asking people to try a new dish that they don't want to try. Um, so I, 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 these are very, I would call them um, maybe less uh, threatening types of um, defiance that show up. But when we um, stand in defiance to something, we are adversarial to that thing and that defiance toward God can really separate us and that separation and in that separation awaits the whole pantheon of vices or sin that would separate us from God and gladly do so. Um, I think when Peter rebukes Jesus, he presumes to know better than God. Welcome back to the garden of Eden. And here we are. Um, he, uh, he steps into the role of the tempter from last week's reading. And Peter attempts to persuade Jesus to act outside of God's purposes and move into direct conflict with God and the mission. I think that, that, you know, we have to be very thoughtful and sometimes humble and, and quite often silent when it comes to um, choosing or discerning the path forward or the response, the appropriate response to make. And sometimes that's, that the appropriate response is 
is to do nothing. Um, so I, I think that Satan seems to be something um, of a posture I can assume uh, or an opportunity for me to speak when I ought to not speak um, or vice versa. Sometimes it's, it's a challenge to speak and I fear what's going to happen, so I choose not to. So I, I'm going to say that I think in this case, Peter being called Satan by Jesus is an introduction to that everybody can everybody can play the part. Thank you, Sarah. Nicole, your thoughts on this? Jesus calling Peter Satan. Yeah, it's a it's a questioning moment, I think, but it is one that I think falls in line with the Mark's gospel and sort of this dualism that has already clearly been a part of his telling of the story. I mean, throughout Mark's gospel, there's sort of two sides. <laughs> there's, there's good and there's evil. And in this, in this particular moment, um, Peter's on the wrong side, which is interesting uh, because Peter just a few verses before was on the right side. <laughs> Um, in terms of declaring um, and responding appropriately to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? And and Peter responds, you are the Messiah, which it, it just occurred to me in this reading, which uh, given the early hour of the morning, <laughs> maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't verbalize it because I don't, it's not well thought through, but I, I believe this may be the first human well, I think I'm, I'm pretty certain this is the first human who has declared Jesus as the Messiah. The other moments in Mark's gospel in which there has been a declaration in terms of who Jesus is, it has been from the demons possessing. It's been from the the other side forces who have been able to name um which is just is is interesting um, for me that that's where we find ourselves, and I think that Sarah's right in that. Um, I I think what does this tell us? I think this tells us that we all have the capacity to at times be in Peter's shoes, to at times on the one in one minute to declare certainly Jesus as Messiah. And then the next moment to be on the other side and to either be saying something or doing something that clearly disregards um, our understanding, our previous understanding of who Jesus is and who God is and who they call us to do and to be. Um, so it, it, it certainly is a caution for, um, for us in that. Jesus is, you know, saying, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Thank you. And Nicole, you picked up on why I expanded this passage to include that previous narrative. And at least it suggests to us, now granted, this is a narrative that was written much later, but it certainly communicates that the moment we say Jesus is Lord, we may act in a way that denies Jesus's lordship. And that, that you said, Nicole, and I agree, we all are 
Simon Peter. In the Greek of the New Testament, the root meaning of the word Satan is adversary. And Sarah, you mentioned that a couple of times. So that helps me a little, I think, understand why Jesus said to Peter, you are you are Satan. You're you're adversarial. You're rebellious. You're not willing to um, understand what I'm saying and expect it. Now, in human relationships and psychology and counseling, there's an emphasis that in healthy communication, there's some degree of congruence between what I think and feel inside and what I say or do outwardly. Assuming congruence within Jesus, and I do, this is a powerful statement. It tells us something about Jesus. He is, I don't know what words to use, shocked, offended. Um, He is determined to make clear how much Simon Peter is misunderstanding. Now, some commentators have some empathy for Peter, and I do. If 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 you said something like this to me, Nicole, as your friend, I wouldn't want you to suffer. I would, wait a minute, Nicole, isn't there a better way? So there's at least that, but nevertheless, <laughs> we need to take Jesus seriously. If we're going to deny his suffering and death, then we are not understanding at all. Um, And it tells me that Jesus felt almost a tumult inside that he had to deal with. Now, what I'm about to say is my speculation. There is some scholarly, I think, general consensus that Mark wrote his gospel around 70 C.E., common era, or A.D., if you prefer. Therefore, perhaps in retrospect and reflecting Mark's style of urgency, the author wanted dramatically to highlight the understanding that came after Jesus' death and resurrection. We know that it was only after the resurrection that the disciples began to have the aha. Now I understand what he was saying. Also, Matthew records this interchange between Jesus and Peter, adding to the importance that the early Christian community placed on this dynamic of Jesus' life, message, and mission. In other words, writing later, Mark reported it in such strong language because it was had become... Uh, the Christian community had discerned how critically important it was. Now, thank you, colleagues. To the second question, and Nicole, I'm going to come to you first. Jesus, in this week's passage, announces to the crowd with his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Nicole, how do you understand and apply this statement to your life of faith today? I think that's a great question, Bill. And I appreciate that in the prior one that you sort of, that you lifted up um, the context in which uh, 
Mark's gospel was written and the timing of it, uh, because I, I, I do think that these words would have been particularly applicable in sort of the plain text reading for Mark and Mark's community, because at the time, they certainly were being crucified in Rome and by Roman um, armies, <clears throat> Peter um, himself. And um, and most of us aren't going to be called to martyrdom. <laughs> and I don't think that that's the purpose or the point of this particular passage. So I think it's important that we sort of recognize the historical context in which the words were written. I do believe that in terms of what does the text call us to, I think it calls us to sort of smaller, more, uh, more regular and, and, and daily um, opportunities and occurrences in which we will deny ourselves um in 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 small ways to be able to um to make choices to take stands that by no means can be compared to um crucifixion <laughs> however in in our world they are stands they're they're they might be small protests, but they're protests nonetheless, in terms of um, making the choices that lead to life, ultimately, not only for ourselves, but for others and for the goodness of creation. Um, and I think that's one of the uncomfortable pieces um, of this passage, because as modern people and, and likely as modern american people we think that we um deserve everything we we deserve the very best of everything there is nothing that we are not entitled to <laughs> i mean we really live in a culture of entitlement and this is such a stark contrast to that kind of ethos um and ideology um, and so for us as modern American Christians, it's to, I think, to live a life <clears throat> that recognizes that, you know, our life has no more or less value than the lives of those who find themselves living in different times and in different places and in, and in different circumstances that look very, very different. Um it's a hard question. It's a good question. It's a really difficult question, Bill, um, and one that I think that we are called to sit with and to struggle with. Right. Uh, well, well said. Sarah, your thoughts on this issue? I agree with Nicole. Um, it, it gives me reason to stop and consider how often and how frequently um, I elect not to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And how often do I elect to subjugate God's purposes or will um, to my own, thinking that um, my my ability, my wisdom, my um, understanding of the situation around me, um, and and whatever decision I'm considering, 
is is somehow bigger or or more valuable or more right than God's is. Um, and and how often do I am I am I making decisions like Adam and Eve about knowing better than God does about what's best for me and the people I care about? Um, I'm stunned at the frequency at which I revisit the Garden of Eden moment. Um, I'm stunned at how arrogant I am um, and how frequently I, and, and, and I stand, it seems, in contrast to the culture in which I live that encourages arrogance about, you know best, you're the best decision maker for this, and 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 maybe that is an opportunity for me to consider humility. Um, and to wait quietly and to listen to trustworthy wisdom of those around me when I pray for guidance and clarity. And I'm often surprised at the simplicity of the response. It's kind of like out of the mouths of children come the wisdom that we could value better. Um, and how frequently I just elect to to be the one to take action when I ought to be the one to sit on my hands and watch and thoughtfully consider um, choices around me. Um, so I, I'm with you, Nicole. I think that uh, it's a daily choice. It's a daily exercise in, um, it, do I move toward God or do I move away from God? Do I, do I work toward the purposes of heaven or do I stand firmly on earth and go, let's dig in the dirt? You know, it's, it's those two contrasts. Um, and that I would say frequently I can recognize both parts of myself and go, ow, <laughs> I thought I was, I thought it was more developed than that, but, um, there I sit. Thank you, Nicole and Sarah. Uh, Nicole, as you noted, uh, most of us are not called literally to be put on a cross, but at least this week, this go round. I hear this carrying across as a metaphor, an image for a willingness to suffer. Um, A part of the message is that following Jesus's announcements of his own suffering to come, he is also saying, you as disciples will also in some way follow in my footsteps. And you noted, uh, Nicole, that persecutions had begun by the time this gospel was written, and a, a, a break between the Jewish synagogue worship and Christians has occurred, and there are scriptures that, that deal with that. So, in fact, uh, and some of the disciples were literally a martyred. Stephen was put to death uh, at the hands of very devout religious people and other acts against Christians. So the early Christians in the 70s and the 80s of that century were hearing these words in a context very different from ours. Um, I would have to say, though, I still do not think I have a clear understanding of how I am to act on this declaration of Jesus. And just this morning, being a morning person, I read the daily devotional published 
by Richard Rohr, uh, the Center for Action and Contemplation. And I will read you a portion of what he wrote this morning. I believe that only people who have suffered in some way can save one another, exactly as 12-step programs have discovered. Uh, This is a quote from a book Richard Rohr wrote about the 12-step recovery program. Deep communion and dear compassion are formed much more by shared pain than by shared pleasure. I do not know why this is true, he writes. We are not saved by formulas or theology or any priesthood extraneous to the human journey itself. Um, So that in some way, our struggle and even suffering can be a way to equip us in the word, who is it? Henry Nowen talked about wounded healers, <laughs> that those who are wounded can be a, a means of healing. Third question. In verse 35, Jesus calls his followers to lose their lives for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. How do you understand and apply that command to yourself? And there's probably in some way a, connection between question two and three. Um, I hear lose as let go and release. And it doesn't have to be that I die physically, but I can lose anger, unforgiveness, prejudice, desire for power and dominance. Uh, You alluded, I think, Nicole, to our acquisition and wanting more and more things and comfort. Um, But if you read Mark Davis's article, he reminds us that even this verse, we think Satan is strong. This verse in the original Greek is really strong. Um, To save, we understand, to keep safe and sound, to rescue The lose is a Greek verb that means to destroy, to put out of the way entirely, to abolish, to put to an end, to render useless, to to kill. Uh, Wow. Here again, Mark is employing very powerful language. And I would say that the cumulative force of the language in this passage, Satan, deny yourself, take up your cross, cross, lose, destroy, and then a portion we aren't discussing, those who are ashamed of me, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in his glory. That says to me that Mark, the writer of this gospel, perceived that Jesus was imparting a profoundly important message. So even though I do not yet sense that I understand and live what Jesus is declaring, I am still listening and seeking to learn and embrace whatever it is that I am to be and do. Um, Let's see, Sarah. 
So it feels as if we're all in a recovery of some kind. <laughs> we're we're in common ground. We're in the same um, condition, and in need of the grace that Jesus is bringing to us. Um, Jesus addresses me. It feels like when I'm suspended between heaven and earth, pursuing what God would have as His purposes on earth. And 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 yet holding tight to that which I want and I need for um, this existence on Earth, and I think this is a a tightrope that we each walk. Um, Jesus points out that self indulgence and self exaltation only lead to sin and ultimately separation from God, and separation from God actually leads to death. And I think that's exactly the the um the odds for us or the, the outcome jesus invites us to explore a life filled with more intrinsic value um a life more abundant um built upon our willingness to surrender our self-centered nature for a life in pursuit of what is valuable to god i think that's that's the hardest part that's the pilgrim's path right there um if the shift the shift of our focus from self to others is what leads us to abundant life. And when I care more for my neighbor as much as myself, I'm less likely to do something harmful to them. And that's where God's purposes begin. Thank that's you. Well said, Sarah. <laughs> Nicole. So, I was helped quite a bit as I was doing a little bit of reading. Um, and one of the commentaries that I've started to enjoy quite a bit is belief, a theological commentary on the Bible. And uh, in in the reflection of it, they lifted up um, a quote from John Howard Yoder, which I found to be helpful that I wanted to share. Yoder wrote, the cross of Calvary was not a difficult family situation, not a frustration of visions of personal fulfillment, a crushing debt, or a nagging in-law. It was the political, logically to be expected result of a moral clash with the powers ruling his society. Risking that particular kind of suffering is not a form of accepting an oppressive order, but a way of challenging it. And I think why I was so helped by this is because, uh, you know, as I encounter this particular text and this particular passage, I, I, I do find that it it can at times be um, internalized in a really unhealthy way for folks in particular circumstances. Um, and so that served as a counter for me um, to put it into perspective um, in a really helpful way, that it was not a way we are not to accept um, cruelty or violence or oppression as something that we need to accept. And it's our way of kind of, of, of losing our lives for the sake of Jesus. <laughs> um, but our standing up to our challenging those uh, regimes and those ways in our world 
is the way that we are called to lose our life for the sake of Jesus. It's when we, it's when we do what is, what is right. It is when we do what is just, um, even if that is at the expense of our own personal, um, comfort, um, or even physical safety, I, I suppose at times that would be ultimately the ultimate call. Um, but pastorally, um, I think that there are times where this passage is is taken um and and keeps people in un, in unhealthy places and in unhealthy circumstances. So I think to remember that larger political realm of it is is what is what is helpful as we seek to understand and apply the command to ourselves. Thank you. Uh that was a very helpful quote that you began with uh Thank you for sharing. And Sarah and Nicole, thank you for joining me in this conversation. And thank you to those who have joined with us. We want you to be a part of this conversation. Uh, This podcast is sponsored by Palmasia Presbyterian Church, located at 3501 San Jose Street in Tampa, Florida. You can check out the services of worship and other opportunities at palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A dot org. And you can email us as a lectionary team at lectionarycallin at palmacia.org. These links will be displayed uh, at, at the end of this podcast. So we welcome you to this Lenten journey as we are challenged and affirmed and equipped for faithful discipleship. Uh, God is love. May we also be love and share the love of God with God's family on earth. We hope to see you next week. Thank you and goodbye.